Hello, and welcome to the I Hear Design podcast, your source for architecture and interior design news, interviews, and opinions. This is Robert Nieminen, your host and chief content director for INS Magazine, and it's good to be back after a bit of a hiatus this summer. We are back and getting geared up for what I'm sure will be a very busy fall season, and I hope you're looking forward to it as well. For today's episode, I wanted to explore a topic that's been on a lot of people's minds over the past several years, uh, especially coming out of the pandemic, and I'm talking about biophilic design specifically. I know it's been a hot topic for a number of reasons, but interestingly, I saw that last year Pinterest released its Pinterest predicts for 2022, which includes insight about the most searched trends the platform has seen over the years. Not surprisingly, biophilic design was among the most popular searches predicted for this year, including how it can be applied to the design of office spaces. With so much being written about the positive effects of this design strategy, including a number of articles that we've penned here at INS, I think it's sometimes easy to get lost in all the buzz around biophilic design and to see the forest for the trees, if you will, pardon the pun. For example, is biophilic design the same as biomimicry? And what are specifiers supposed to make of all the manufacturing claims around biophilia? As incorporating biophilic design into workplaces gains traction, it's important for design practitioners to identify the misconceptions around the topic uh, to get a clearer understanding as to what it is and what type of strategy to adopt when applying these principles uh, to their projects. That's why I recently invited Rachel Robinson, studio design principal at Ted Moodis Associates, along with her colleague, Michelle Beganskas, Senior Manager of Workplace Strategy, to discuss some of the misconceptions around biophilic design and to dispel some of the common myths that are out there. I was really encouraged by our conversation, and I think you will be too. Have a listen. Well, hi, Rachel and Michelle. It's good to see the both of you. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is exciting. Good topic to talk about. Nice to be yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for our listeners that may not be familiar with you, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, first of all, where are you both dialing in from and what's your role at Ted Moodis Associates? Uh, Michelle, why don't you go first? Sure. So uh, my name is Michelle Beganskis, um, calling in from New York. Um, we're we're based in New York and Chicago, but Rachel and I are both out of our New York office. Okay. Um, so I'm the senior manager of workplace strategy here at TMA. So part of you know what I do for the firm is work with our clients, collect data, and really just try to align the workspace design with the client's goals and values, and also to make recommendations on best practices and design strategies that are important for them to consider. And, mm -hmm. you know, biophilic design being one of my favorite topics you'll hear. Um, my background is in interior design and I have a specialty in design for sustainability and human health and well-being. So I actually okay. got my master's in sustainable interior environments and did my thesis research on biophilic design. So um, we'll be we'll be very excited to talk about it and kind of that's how my, you know, my background in design and well-being kind of led me to strategy. Very, very cool. Okay. Rachel, what about you? Hi, yeah, Rachel Robinson, uh, Ted Motors Associates again in the New York office. Um, my role is a design principal with TMA. Um, I've probably been here over 10 years, but basically, uh, as Michelle said, we do interior design. Um, we look at what the employees experience and space planning throughout the space, which all comes together with the environment and uh, biophilic design. And um, yeah, that's my role here. Thanks Great. for having us. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm excited to dive into the topic today. Um, as you've already touched on a little bit, biophilic design has really uh, become a big buzzword in the industry in recent years, as I'm sure both of you know. I've, I'm seeing it you know, come across my desk more and more often. Uh, we've actually done quite a bit of coverage on the topic, but I still think there is 
uh, quite a bit of uh, maybe confusion around exactly what it is, and maybe even some greenwashing happening with some of the product claims that are out there, uh, and ways that it can be leveraged really, you know, appropriately in the in the design of commercial spaces. And I'm so glad that uh, you can uh, help clear some of those misconceptions <laughs> up. So uh, why don't we start? Why don't we start at the beginning, sort of by way of definition? Um, and Michelle, how would you define biophilic design? Like, what is it? And maybe more importantly, yeah. what is it not? Yeah. So biophilic design, you know, the word biophilic comes from the theory of biophilia, which says that humans have this inborn need to connect with nature and it's essential to our mental health, our productivity and our overall well-being. So biophilic design essentially takes those qualities of nature that we, you know, respond positively to. It takes those qualities of nature that we as humans, we like, we tend to gravitate towards and tries to recreate them in our interior environments through architecture and design. Um, so it can be implemented in a lot of ways. Um, and essentially it's, you know, at, at its at its core, it's really just taking taking inspiration from nature, whether it's, you know, in an aesthetic way, in an experiential way, in recreating that um, through design with the intent to benefit our health and well-being. Yeah. But, and just for a point of clarification, like in terms of the question, what is it not? It's mm -hmm. not biomimicry, right? Because biomimicry right. from what I gather is really like kind of products sort of uh, emulating nature in the way they are sort of operate, right? Is that, yes. is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Bio, yeah. Right. Biomimicry intends to mimic, you know, the systems of nature and how nature right. can, pro biophilia is really about how it makes us feel, how the, how experiencing nature and how viewing even nature without experiencing it, whether it's real or fake, you know, studies have been done on biophilia um, just from images of nature and how it can also have a positive impact on our health and well-being, you know, when compared to images of, you know, a cityscape. So it's biophilia is really more about how it makes us as humans feel and how it can, you know, how that connection to nature can improve our health and well-being. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, it's, it, as Michelle said, it really is the human behavior. Um, and we, you can look at it in many different ways, what it is and what it's not. I mean, we all say, uh, I, you try to explain to a client, okay, we're going to introduce biophilic design into the space. And they're like, oh, plants. I don't want plants. And yeah. that's, the, mm -hmm. that's what we all laugh about. So, okay, it's not just for plants. <laughs> There's a lot more yeah. behind it. And it's the feel of what you feel when you enter into a space. That yeah. would be our goal. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, why would you say biophilic, biophilia, biophilic design um, is such an important design consideration for commercial interiors today? Like, or if a client is asking, hey, why, you know, why do you want to do this? What do you generally, uh, you know, tell a client or even maybe another designer that's kind of sort of new to it? Yeah. How would you address that? Yeah. I would yeah. go there. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, you know, basically based on, I mean, this is what we do day in and day out is design commercial spaces. Um, and this has actually become the buzzword, but if it's more um, substantial right now because of what we're all feeling when we come back to, when we come back to work, it's really important. You know, you're going to work to be productive. If the space doesn't feel right, you're not going to be productive. So I would say that's probably one of the number one reasons we consider how we feel in the space and the well-being of the employee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. To, to just to build off of that, you know, you know, following the pandemic, you know, office design you know, how, the way that interior spaces can impact our health, it's become such general knowledge. You know, everybody mm. now has an opinion on how the office should be designed and whether we should work from home or come back to the office. It's it's really been transformative in our industry. And the expectations of employees is that their workplace is now going to support their well-being. 
Yeah. And so biophilic design fits right into that, um, along with many other things. But, you know, it, it's that expectation, like Rachel was saying, that expectation of the experience, it's going to support me and the way that I want to work, and it's going to enhance my well-being. That's it's why, you know, it's really, really relevant now. And I probably the reason why we're hearing about it a lot. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I was excited about um, when we were talking about this before uh, recording this episode was really just about some of the common myth- misconceptions or myths, right, about biophilic design. Can you two dispel some of the most common myths for our listeners? Like, what are they? Uh, what are people falling for? Maybe that they shouldn't be. Um, you know, I touched on some of the maybe you know greenwashing claims. Like, what are some of the common terms that are being thrown around that maybe are kind of off the mark? Yes. I mean, Rachel touched on it before, but the one that we see kind of most commonly is, you know, putting a couple of potted plants in the corner or putting a green wall in one area and saying this is biophilic design. Mm -hmm. It is, but it's, it's not, you know, that I wouldn't call that, you know, an inc- a holistic and a really inclusive biophilic design because it's, it's selective, you know, Mm -hmm. and while introducing greenery is a really great way to, introduce nature into a space, it doesn't stop there. And I think that's the biggest misconception is that it's an easy fix. Oh, biophilia. I hear everyone talking about biophilia. Let's put plants everywhere in the office and that, and then Mm -hmm. we're good to go. It really goes so much more beyond that, you know, especially from a workplace strategy perspective and how we can build it into the the program for a space or the strategy for a space before we even consider the aesthetics. If we know that biophilic design is important from that initial get-go, mm-hmm. we can really integrate it into into the project, um, you know, my, you know, in a way that I would say you can really have a successful biophilic design even without any greenery at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to think about, as you were saying at the beginning, is, you know, think of, if you're taking it from scratch, think of the building that you're actually going to start designing or, or planning. Mm-hmm. Think about the natural light of the space, the ventilation, the air, the energy, the sight lines of views it's all part of the same biophilic design it's really when you think about you walk into space you're like all right if you don't see outside how do i feel um especially from a start design i I walked into a space the other day and i walked in smell was really bad Mm. and i i sat there and i went oh i don't like this space because of the smell so it comes down to all senses as well how how we start designing these spaces yeah makes a difference Sure. Um, I, I'd also say another misconception is that, you know, you can't, I, I've, when I was doing my research on biophilic design, I heard a lot about, you know, there are real purists and biophilia purists who really feel like you need to go, it's all or nothing with biophilic mm-hmm. design, right? You need to, you know, and, and really there's not opportunity for that in places like New York City. We don't have the opportunity. Not every client has an outdoor terrace or actually opportunity to actually work outside mm-hmm. or not every client has the opportunity to have, you know, any sort of outdoor space at all. But I really, I really do believe that that's a misconception because, you know, I, um, the um, analogy that I've heard and I like to use is that if you're trying to improve your health and you, you know, of course, the best way to improve your health is to eat healthy, right? All three meals of the day. And some people believe that if you have, you know, cookies and candy for all of your meals, except for one, that one meal isn't really enough to improve your health. But I still think it's better than nothing, right? (laughs) So in places like New York City, where we're not surrounded by nature, we don't have outdoor gardens and, you know, places that we can go. I really do believe that any bit that we can do to encourage that connection to nature is going to be beneficial. So one example is, you know, 
what, as Rachel was saying, when we consider our space planning, we consider where are the best views, where's the best daylight. And we like to plan, you know, the most communal spaces around the best daylight and views. And the view doesn't necessarily have to be of trees and mountains. Just having that visual connection to the sky that's biophilia. You you are able to extend your line of sight. You see the clouds passing. You can see, you know, the 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 daylight change as the time of day changes, um, and you're connected to even the weather outside and how the atmosphere outside changes. That's all biophilia, even if below that sky is buildings. You know, so right, right. it's. I think that those are, you know, two misconceptions that we tend to talk about a lot, especially because we don't have the opportunities for that true, pure biophilic design in, in, in cities like New York. So mm -hmm. um, you can do it without greenery and you can do it without, you know, having your building in a forest. So. Right, 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 and it's, <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's clearly not, yeah, yeah. it's clearly not an afterthought, like you said. You know, yeah. you don't just throw the plants up or or some artwork and be done yeah. with it, right? It's really kind of thinking about it in whole Definitely. in holistic terms, yeah. you know. But, um, but you know, I have seen sort of just interestingly in a lot of product design, you know, textiles, mm -hmm. wall coverings, just a lot more of those sort of nature inspired patterns. Mm -hmm. I mean, are, I, mean, I imagine in spaces like New York where you don't have a lot of that, that can also be maybe if they don't have some of those outdoor spaces, as you said, or if, if the building itself, if the envelope doesn't allow for a lot of daylight, do those things still help? I mean, in terms of some of that, uh, yes, you know, definitely, yeah, it design? definitely does. Yeah, it definitely does. Even when you think about the actual, like natural materials, um, and again, you know, natural materials can be expensive. We're talking about stones and woods and it's all mm -hmm. about the texture of the material, sure. um, which makes you feel it in a different way. But even if it's foam materials, you're still going to get it's a it's a vision. Yeah. So you're yeah. still going to get the same feel. So it, again, depending on our budget when we start to design, but patterns and colors and you know we all we all go to especially New York we all go to blue and green. But as you say, we could be in a different region where you're in I don't know Arizona and everything's oranges, reds, and so mm -hmm. you're going to feel different in different regions or globally. Um, I think it's critical. Um. But also the um, acoustics is yeah. also, I would mm -hmm. say, also comes into how you feel and what you listen to are surrounding you. Um, right now we're all with our headphones on because we don't want to listen to everyone else on the Zoom calls. But mm -hmm. once you take those headphones off, you feel a completely different way. Right. Yeah. yeah. And. Yeah. You know, kind of going to what we were talking about before, the the way that I like to, and you know, we like to categorize biophilic design is we start with the building, which is kind of what we talked about. And mm -hmm. then the rest of it is up to the designers like Rachel to really have a full gamut of, of what the possibilities are. So, of course, the best way to experience biophilia is to experience real nature. But we also, you know, there's been scientific studies, like I mentioned before, that even viewing a picture of nature can have those sort of calming effects, reduce our stress, reduce our anxiety, allow us to concentrate better. So um, even if it's not as scientifically proven to have, you know, the textiles with the natural patterns and colors and textures. When you put them side by side, I like to think about, you know, okay, so we have one office space design with biophilic design in mind and one that isn't. And even if it's not fully scientifically proven like real nature, there's studies behind real nature, you put them side by side, you can tell which one you feel would feel more comfortable in mm -hmm. and you feel like you would rather work in. And so that's why a lot of times biophilic design is just good design. It's right. rich textures, it's um, tactile yeah. materials, it's also considering the acoustics, it's really considering that full package of, you know, even if this isn't the best, you know, 
obviously being outside would be better being mm -hmm. working in a forest for everybody would be better right <laughs> but yeah, even yeah. if we can't do that you can still see how implementing some biophilic design is still going to provide a better work experience for for employees sure, uh, yeah absolutely I, yeah. I don't think Go people ahead, actually Rachel. realize like especially in new york all we do is design spaces and it's gray black and white because that's yeah. that, that's our color um but I don't think even, and then it's like, okay, well, add a green wall. Let's just put a green wall up and it looks great. But behind the scenes, there's a lot more information going on to come up with that design and make it a biophilic design, even though that you may not even see anything green in the space, but there's the substance there from the beginning to, mm. to create this space. But adding a few plants helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, there's nothing but wrong even, with the green wall, right? But even, you know, like the, the trend that we've been seeing over the past five, 10 years of, you know, pulling perimeter offices or pulling offices off the perimeter and bringing mm -hmm. them to interior to prioritize daylight, that's biophilic design. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a connection to nature. It's a connection to daylight. And a lot of the studies about our productivity that are linked to daylight, you know, also are in support of, of, um, of biophilic design. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you both have kind of, already started to answer my next question about just, <laughs> you know, some practical steps that designers and architects can take to start to incorporate some of these uh, design elements into their projects. Are there other guidelines that they should follow? I mean, I guess they're maybe starting on this journey. I mean, any, any kind of practical uh, suggestions you can offer? Yeah. Probably. Sorry, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for me, it would be more about the space planning. I'm on my side. It's like once you start, like just even think about a natural curve versus an angle or a shop. And that mm. really makes you feel different as you walk to the space, which all adds to it. Um, lighting is critical, even like the circadian lighting that they're bringing out, that that yeah. helps as, you know, people work all different hours of the day. Um, and that makes you feel different as you're in the space. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, anything to yeah. add? Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, as, you know, my background being in interior design, I I, I have attempted to implement biophilic design in my projects before. And what I find difficult for myself and also I see other designers struggling with is it's not like, you know, the LEED certification system or the WELL certification system where you can mm -hmm. say, if you do X, Y, and Z, you've got a biophilic design. Right. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of times people struggle with it because it's not that black and white. It's really, I like, you know, again, going back to that conversation, as much as you can do as possible is beneficial. But mm -hmm. even if you can only do a couple of things, I still think it's better. So um, some, some other practical ways, you know, like Rachel was saying that we build this into the space planning, some of those experiences of nature that we can recreate through design. So we talked a lot about the building considerations. We talked about you know, the aesthetics of nature, whether it's colors, textures, or real nature, but there's also some of those experiences of nature that are, you know, layered into a sophistic biophilic design. So some examples could be, you know, like a, a sense of mystery or a partially obstructed view. So, you know, perforated panels that either, you know, vertically can create that sense of mystery or, you know, but on, on the ceiling could create kind of um, a dappled sunlight effect. Mm -hmm. um, Prospect and refuge is something that we consider in all of our projects, and that prospect refuge theory basically says that us humans, as uh, us as humans, feel most comfortable when we can quote unquote you know see without being seen. So we want to feel correct connected to our surroundings. We want to have prospect and be able to see. Um, out to our surroundings, but at the same time, we want to feel safe. We don't want our backs exposed to main corridors. We don't really want the ability for someone to come behind us and sneak up on us. That gives us that sense mm -hmm. of un unease, you know, unease. And that's all kind of a part of biophilic design, that experiential design, considering at any 
given place in a workplace? Um, what is the experience? You know, a lack of hard boundaries, a sense of freedom, like Rachel was saying, uh, you know, resisting 90 degree angles, creating curves. Um, these are all, they're all part of it as well. It's, it's really fascinating how, you know, people get focused on the greenery, but there's just so much you consider mm -hmm. that again, can fit into any aesthetic. Yeah. Absolutely. Give us a give us a box and see what we come up with. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I can hear listeners and designers out there who you know they've they've got this beautiful design. They want to add all this biophilic stuff, but then you know the clients. I was going to come back to the question of how much does it cost? Does it add a lot of extra costs to take this approach? I mean, and if so, what can designers do to maybe help make the case to clients? Uh, I don't think you, you can take that both ways. Yes, it could mm -hmm. if you're adding certain elements to the space, but you can, mm -hmm. as we just talked about, you can add elements to a space that really can give you the same feel without spending the money. Um, right. as, as again, you, the natural materials, the, the beautiful woods and tones of woods, you can do that with a laminate. You can get the mm -hmm. same, you can get the same feel by looking at it. Um, and as you're planning a space, it doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't cost you any money to think about how you plan and it doesn't cost you, you all need light. So how we we plan and add light to the space, it doesn't have to be a, a substantial expense to say you've done biophilic design now. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, there's another misconception for you that biophilic right. design is expensive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, it right can, on people. Right, it can be if you're doing, you know, the hydroponic green wall and, you mm -hmm. know, and the water feature, the waterfall yeah, yeah. and the natural stone and, you know, yeah. marble. It can be expensive, but it also sure. can, you know, it could just be, you know, like Rachel said, choosing, if you're choosing a wall covering, choosing between one that's got a natural texture and one that doesn't. It could mm -hmm. be as simple as that. You know, places you're already spending, it's just a design decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd even uh, read recently about a, like a sound system that uh, replicates, you know, sounds of nature, like that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but which can get, certainly yeah. it can get pricey when you're thinking about, you know, AV type of stuff, technology, yeah. um, but you're right. Yeah. I, I like the fact that it doesn't have to be, you know, all that sophisticated or, or costly. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about those beautiful stones with texture, which you walk into space and you, you feel like you're in the mountains or wherever, then obviously mm -hmm. we're talking money. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, there's a balance there's a balance in both ways of how to do it sure yeah. okay well what would you say is maybe a, like a key takeaway our listeners can uh, walk away with uh, as far as biophilic design or misconceptions um, what, what would you leave them with as far as this topic goes I'd say that just really remembering that the purpose of it is to enhance our well-being and that you can achieve that without the presence of plants because we really our, our goal is really just to not limit biophilic design to those who are going for that sort of aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, you know, I want the takeaway to be that you can implement biophilic design into any project, regardless of the aesthetic, regardless of the budget, you know, it, it can be implemented in any project. Sure. Yeah. I would add, um, what makes you happy? You know, mm. what makes you happy when you walk into a space and that's what it's about, especially working into a working environment. Um, think about how you feel by um, sight lines, vision, um, touch and feel, and, you know, just the environment. It's, we're here to design spaces to make people want to be in the spaces and be productive. So yeah, what makes you happy? It's perfect. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, where can our listeners go to find more information and resources about bio biophilic design if they're curious? 
Yeah, I mean, there there are plenty of articles out there, but I'd say after listening to this podcast, I hope that they're reading them with a careful eye. Um, but there is a, a consulting firm called Terrapin Bright Green who actually put right. out a report called The 14 Patterns of Biophilic Design. And I'd say that's the most well-known um publication that's as close as we have gotten to that sort of checklist, right? Where you can mm -hmm. say, you know, again, there's still no way to say you need to implement all 14 patterns in order for it to be biophilic, but the 14 patterns of biophilic design are really well known among the industry um, as far as examples of how to implement biophilic design. And I'd say that's a great place to start to learn more about it. Perfect. All right. Come see Michelle and Rachel. Yeah, yeah. Or, or call, or call <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll put your contact info up there for everybody. Of course, so. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. Well, thank you again, Rachel and Michelle, for being on the podcast yeah, and helping our listeners it. cut through some of the myths, misconceptions. Um, it's been great having you here. So, Thanks so much. Yep. Well, for our listeners out there, thank you again for tuning in and making us part of your day. Enjoy the rest of your summer. And as always, be well, everyone. Mm -hmm.